When you get to be my age and you look at the newspaper and you realize at the end of the week that a lot of people your age have died this week who were celebrities. And I think for every celebrity that dies, there's probably 10 common people or something like that. I don't know. You're reminded of the mortality of, of people. There's a television show that I watch on the History Channel, and they killed off one of their lead characters because they're getting ready to shut the show down. So they're giving her this grand Viking send-off. And I think about the contrast between that view of looking at death and the Christian view of looking at death, because this passage reminds us about priests. And remember in the Hebrew story and the Hebrew worship and the Hebrew people, priests were very important. But yet, this text reminds us, not just about priests, but about all of us. Priests, one, they were people, they were going to die. Two, they were people they sinned and need to have sacrifices for their sins. You see, when you look at Aaron versus Jesus Christ, you see the differences. One of the differences that we've already looked at in a sermon is at the end is that Christ is the high priest, not by law, but by an oath, a covenant oath. And so it's not really a surprise because God has been getting his people ready for Jesus Christ, but, but most of them did not know and they didn't understand until he brought in the apostles to explain the Old Testament. And I think the writer of Hebrews is somebody who does the best explanation of tying the Old Testament, the New Testament, of bringing Christ in, that he is the, both the promised one and the surprise. And so there is a shadow of death over all human ministry, but Christ remains forever unchangeable. I remember about 10, 15 years ago, there were frustration, complaints, and worries about all of these post-World War II evangelical ministries that their, their leaders, because they had been people coming out of World War II, you know, they were getting ready to pass on, and who's going to take it up? Who's going to do this? And will they be, you know, there was all this complaining without realizing that in every ministry, every ministry has to have a transition plan. Because in Christ there is no transition, but in human ministry there is. There is death, there is sin. Verse 23 reminds us, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. See, that's one of the things that humbles us who are pastors, who are ministers, is that I'm not forever. To try to figure out how do you pass it on? 
And see, I think you pass it on by pointing to Christ, and we're going to look at that in a few moments. But people in the church need to acknowledge that because we are human, there is going to be transition because there is death. We don't say it when we install ministers the way we do in a marriage. I mean, you know, every time I say those words in a marriage ceremony and people repeat it, until death do us part, that that little sting that is there in the marriage ceremony to remind you that this is not forever. I think sometimes it is humorous in marriages that are longer to see people wondering who's going to outlast who. I remember at one point that we thought my father would outlast my mother because she just was having all these health care problems. And now 15 years after his death, she just celebrated her 97th birthday. She's still with us. She still can look at me through Facebook and recognize me. But the reality of death in the church is something we need to deal with. We can't ignore it. Verse 24 says, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. See, that's one of the things about Jesus Christ that we we kind of give a head nod to, but we don't realize the practical side of that. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is permanent, unchangeable, what does that say about our ministry and our message and what we do and how we live as Christians? Those of us who are older to look at and say, remember that Jesus we fell in love with when I was 18 or 15 or 25 or 35? It's still the same Jesus. We're going to talk about what it's like to recognize that he is the one who provides the sacrifice for our sins. Because of the sinfulness of the priests, and and I've always thought this is a very powerful statement of the humility that a priest has to have Because a priest would stand in front of the whole congregation, put their hands on the bull, the animal. I mean, they'd pick a big sacrifice for the priest, no little dove, you know. No, this was a big, visible sacrifice. And by doing that, the priest acknowledged their sins, that I need a sacrifice. Publicly, often. I mean, think about the, the humility. See, the people wouldn't look up to a priest and say, oh, he's better than ever. No. It was built in to humble the priests. And that image, that image of putting your hands on the animal, and I know this is, crazy, but 
took my grandsons out and we saw some big hairy coos. <laughs> and I thought, what would it be like to put your hand on them and confess your sins? That an image in my mind of confessing my sins to God is putting my hands on the sacrifice. But he alone is the sacrifice. He did not need to sacrifice for his own sins. And, and I think that's one of the most powerful things about what he did for us is that he did not die for his sins. He died for our sins. But you see, in the priest, look at the last part of verse 27, to sacrifice, to offer sacrifices daily. Do you hear that? Every day the priest is humbled. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. That the priest is the one that can deal with the collective group of God's people. That the priest can sacrifice for the sins of the people. And what happens in Jesus Christ is not only is he the priest, but he's the sacrifice. See, the, there is a perfection in Jesus, our high priest. He uses to make intercession for the covenant people who draw near to God through him. See, I think that's one of the things that's hard for us to realize that Jesus was perfect, that Jesus did not sin. See, one of the things about what we're looking at in the book of Hebrews is all this matters in terms of who the Jesus is that you worship, who the Jesus is that died on the cross for your sins. See, it's not somebody we make up. It's not somebody we write the script for. It's a message we receive from Scripture that God has given to us, promises kept. In verse 28 is where it says the word of the oath. Remember, we looked at that recently. Jesus Christ is our high priest, is part of God's fulfillment of his covenant promises. Aaron's priesthood, law, Christ, oath. It points the son who has been made perfect forever. Now, verse 25 says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There are so many things in there that you could probably have a full sermon on this text, but he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Do you see that relationship between the Father and the Son and we are being drawn near to him? That salvation isn't just about what we get. It's not just about us getting forgiveness of our sins. We're going to talk about that in a second. But behind salvation, behind what Christ did, it was to draw us near to God. Now, if you remember the story, what that is doing, it should bring back, you know, I, I have memories of 11th grade English in learning about foreshadowing. 
See, this was foreshadowed back in Genesis 3 because we had been kicked out of the presence of God because of sin. And then God says, through Eve, we're going to correct that. And in here, it's drawing near to God. So if you do not see part of your salvation that is described here, he is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God. See, we are saved to draw near to God. See, and, and what that does, that means tomorrow morning, no matter how you feel, your health, the weather, whatever, you can draw near to God because of Jesus Christ. I remember one of the first women that I went to visit who was what we used to call in the South a shut-in. This was a woman who, when she was younger, took her black Buick out into the hills and the valleys and the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains where we lived in Lexington, Virginia, and gathered up kids. This was pre-seatbelt days. This would be considered probably overcrowding and things, but Mrs. Black went out and found those kids and got them in her car and got them to Sunday school and got them to church and then took them home. But when I knew her, she didn't come to church because she was what we called bedridden, health reasons-wise. Somebody you would send social care to. The only thing she still did was grow violets to sell to support missionaries and pray. Here is a woman at the end of her life, and I did her funeral. I was with her when she died. But here was what we would think of as the weakest of the weak, someone that people did not see. But she understood that she could still draw near to God in her weakness, in her isolation, in that upper room. She could still pray for those kids that she picked up. many of whom were in their 20s. You probably know people who you see in their Christian life that they understand that they need to draw near to God. See, daily devotions, quiet time, whatever you call it, how do you draw near to God each day? Do you believe in the last part of this that he is making intercession for you that when you draw near you need to make intercession? Do you believe that Jesus Christ prays for you? I mean that's what this text is talking about. That should encourage us every day that we get up. This is going to be a good day because Jesus Christ is praying for me. He's interceding for me. 
See, and we know it's not just intercession to get our sins forgiven, but it's intercession for our lives. Look at how, verse 26, look at these little descriptions, these little words. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's who's making intercession for us. That is something that, that should put a smile on your face in terms of anticipation that, hey, today's a day that God's going to be, Jesus Christ is going to be interceding for me. He always lives to make intercession for them. That we have someone who intercedes for us. Now, the latter part of verse 27 is something that I've already spoken about, but yet it's going to come up and it's going to be something that I think the writer of Hebrews wants us to memorize, wants us to know and have as an encouragement. Verse 27, what I call 27C, the last part, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, that's the uniqueness of Christianity. You've heard me say that one of the ways that Christianity defeated the Druids was that we had a better sacrifice. We had a sacrifice that once for all took care of it. We didn't need quarterly human sacrifices the way the Druids did. Christ died once for all. Do you believe that he died for your sins, that you shouldn't be living in a cloud of guilt, you shouldn't be living in quagmire with... Got to use Christmas Carol still after Christmas. How many of you sometimes feel like you've got Marley's chains around your body from guilt in the past because you have not allowed the blood of Christ to cleanse you, to free you, to take those chains of guilt off, to free you from your past? The, the most precious part of this for me is at the end when he offered up himself. I mean, to me, that is the wow, that's the spectacular, that's the humbling, that's I don't have to sacrifice for my sins every day because Jesus Christ offered up himself. See, I don't know whether, which is, you know, it's, it's spectacular that it was once for all, but it's even more spectacular that he offered himself up. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life. I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life and then lifts it up. How many times did Christ try to get his disciples ready for the fact that he was going to the cross to die for them? He was giving up his life that was not being taken from him. That should allow us to sleep at peace at night because our sins are forgiven because he offered up himself. It has nothing to do with me earning my salvation. 
And this is something that the writer of Hebrews is going to weave throughout the text as we work our way through the rest of the book of Hebrews. You see that we have a crisis of of loneliness, we have a crisis of suicide, we have all kinds of crises with people with mental health issues that I believe that if they understood that Christ gave himself up, it would help them towards the road to recovery. I'm not saying that it's easy. You've heard me say back in the 60s, when the Jesus people came along to the drug culture in Southern California, there were some people that were cured just like that of their addictions. I mean, just walked away right then and there. And there were others who would struggle. And we didn't know why some walked away and some struggled. Well, see, the people who struggled experienced that support and that love of Jesus Christ every day as they struggled with their issues. Because he gave himself up for us. They knew that it had been accomplished. I just want to close with one more comment about the last part of the text on the screen. Appoints, in other words, the oath, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Do you accept that by faith? Because I think none of us can imagine what it means to be perfect. We can only imagine what we experience. We've experienced sinfulness. We've experienced how sin damages and breaks people and families and communities. But here we have a covenant promise, this oath that appoints a son, and that's who we're going to be looking at in the book of Hebrews, who has been made perfect forever. I know that no matter what we think happened last week, as we approach the blind rise for next week, there's going to be something different in the news, in our lives. See, by faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is perfect forever. He is my high priest who intercedes for me. He is my high priest who is paid for my sins. Let us pray. Jesus, I'm in awe that you gave up yourself for ourself, for our sins, for my sins. 
that you are perfect forever. I pray that you would strengthen my faith, that you would increase it. I pray that people who do not know you would get to know Jesus Christ, who by oath through the promises of the covenant has become this great high priest who is also the Lamb of God. Father, we thank you for salvation. But as we see in this, we also know that we are there to intercede. And most of all, we are there to draw near to you. Lord, help us to draw near each day, each moment, to walk with you in this life that is filled with noise and distractions, that we would walk to be near you. We pray this, Jesus, in your most holy name.